Okay. So we're here with uh, podcast episode one, Junto Podcast, and we have Ramon J. Ryan, who is a law student at Vanderbilt and who also is a co-founder of the Space Law Society. Yep. Society. Okay, cool. Very cool. So you're here today to tell us about Space Law. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm okay. living my NPR Democracy Now! fantasy being on the podcast i'm very excited oh, boom, awesome perfect <laughs> we're excited to talk about it so it's a it's a pretty deep subject yeah and i think it's something that a lot of people um haven't put a lot of thought into either in the legal field and outside of it gotcha okay yeah so there's a legal aspect of it um how much does it affect our day-to-day life so potentially a lot Um, there's things that, uh, and I think that even if it's not affecting everyday people right now, it will have an impact, um, because the exploration of space is, uh, is growing and the private sector is getting involved. And so there are a lot of issues that just have not come up before that we start, um, we need to start fleshing out. And so, um, there's, uh, you know, environmental issues is regarding what things we're using in space. Um, There are issues such as property rights and, you know, who owns the moon and who owns asteroids. Um, And then uh, there's issues as far as like administrative issues, like what happens when there's a crime in space or how do we want government to function on a different planet? And so these are all issues that we need to start thinking about now because the technology is outpacing um, our thoughts around it. So it's going to happen and we're going to find out that we haven't really put any thought into it unless we start having these conversations now. Mm, okay. So what is space crime? So How does one commit a <laughs> space felony? So there's never been, um, there's, there, up until recently, there hadn't been an actual incident of space crime, um, but on the International Space Station, um, this was uh, probably several months ago, there was an, an issue with an astronaut who, had, who was divorced, um, and she checked her wife's bank account, or ex-wife's bank account, um, while she was in space on the International Space Station, even though she didn't have um, access to it any longer. Okay. And so that was kind of the first talk of like, how do we handle this? Because she is an American citizen, um, but it happened on the International Space Station. So does U.S. law regulate that? Um, do we do it under the U.N.? And what happens when it's something se- more serious, like a murder? Uh, so... Those are the kind of issues that will eventually and unfortunately come up as human presence in space increases. A murder mystery on a space station. Yeah, I mean. Is that a pitch for a a great movie? I think so. Okay, that that sounds good. So as far as, is is right now space governed on like the maritime? Yeah, so um, that is a good, uh, that's a, a good analogy uh, of of how kind of like what we're doing right now with space law, because um, a lot of the aspects of space law are analogous to maritime law. Um, You know, you have this, you know, body of space that no one country 
controls. And so we can kind of look to that to decide, you know, what we do on like the high seas and we can kind of correlate that to what we do in space. But right now there is um, what's called the Outer Space Treaty um, that is governing countries' actions in space. Um, that was created in 1967, um, and the U.S. is a signatory of it. And uh, because it's so old, it does need a lot of updating. And so that's kind of the issue. When, when, that, when that treaty was signed, you only had really um, the United States and the Soviet Union active in space. Mm. There wasn't really much thought about private actors, companies in space. Uh, and so there's a lot of issues that just were not taken into account. And so, um, y for instance, like the military militarization of space. And like I said before, you know, who has claims over land in space? Uh, and Is so that why we need Space Force? <laughs> so Space Force, space is, Force is really interesting because okay. um, the Outer Space Treaty says that space is not to be militarized. Basically, um, the kind of the overarching goal of the treaty was that space would be a peaceful place for, you know, to benefit all humankind. Um, and so the introduction of the Space Force now kind of pushes the boundaries of is it within the treaty or, or is it outside of it? Um, because you could make an argument that having a space force is militarizing space. Um, the like U.S. It. would argue, um, and the current administration would probably argue, that it's just protecting current U.S. military assets that are already in space, like such as our satellites. And so that's probably okay if it's just if it's just a protection of U.S. military satellites. But once you start to consider troops operating in space, um, that's an, a, a, a grayer area and something that's probably going to have to be reworked in a new treaty. So space security is what... Exactly. Okay, right. I think that's probably the form that... That's the main thing that the Space Force will initially do, um, but it could expand. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't... Uh the Air Force currently do this? Is it yeah. just already a... Yeah, the Air Force already um, does a lot of, of this. So uh, that's probably why it's not going to be controversial at first, because it's just going to be a transfer, basically, from the stuff that the Air Force oh, does okay. to this new branch, the Space Force. Um, and there's currently no talks for kind of expanding that role. Um, but with a new, you know, with the new branch of the military, I'm sure there's going to be a push to expand its role. And then the question is, are we violating the Outer Space Treaty by doing that? Hmm. Okay. So, Space Force. I mean, are we skipping ahead a little bit? Like, I mean, is this actually... Y you say Space Force and you get... I mean, obviously, most people are going to get mental images of uh, space troops... Yeah. Fighting over satellites and asteroids and Yeah. So is this a viable future? Like is this possible? Yeah, I mean, I think that as m more countries uh launch more of their assets into space, there is going to be a desire for the protection of those assets and there is the potential for fighting over those assets. And so Do guns work in space? <laughs> uh, can, can we google that? We need to Get, yeah, like, that's a great question. I don't we, know. Can, can we get Neil deGrasse Tyson to... I'm not a physicist, but I would... I 
<laughs> it might, might, maybe not very well. Or like for a split second, you don't have so much range. <laughs> Or yeah, I have no idea if you lead your target more, maybe. <laughs> so, so of, like as far as regulation of commercial uh, space activity, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to ask the important question: mm-hmm. How is that going to affect Netflix? <laughs> is, is this going to affect streaming? I don't think it's going to affect streaming. Um, okay. I think that so. Um, I'm currently writing an article for um, a, that's going to be published at Vanderbilt um, in their Journal of Entertainment and Technology Law um, coming out uh, this May. Do you have a title for this article? Uh, so it's uh, it's called The Fault in Our Stars. Oh. Um, and it's basically the it's discussing whether the FCC, which is the regulatory agency um, that gives grants approval to commercial satellite projects, um, if they are violating uh, a law called the National Environmental Policy Act. And so uh, this has kind of come up recently because at present we have about 1,500 satellites orbiting the planet. Now, you have companies like SpaceX, which are um, launching what are called um, satellite constellations and uh, SpaceX's is called Starlink. This is Musk, Elon Musk. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so he, so this, this, this uh, Starlink has already started launching and it's a network of, I believe now uh, around 60,000 satellites that will completely encompass the globe and you would be able to access the internet from Antarctica or the Gobi Desert, anywhere you are on Earth. Okay, how's that not a bad... How's that right, bad and it, so it sounds great. Okay. Um, but the issue is that, as I said, we only have 1,500 satellites in orbit right now. And, and you're talking about the introduction of 60,000 new satellites. And that's just SpaceX. Um, Bezos has his own uh, company, space company, Blue Origin. They want to introduce a um, satellite constellation. OneWeb is another satellite operator that wants to do one. And that's just in the U.S. Russia and China will no doubt want their own satellite constellations. Uh, And so you're just talking about hundreds of thousands of satellites in space um, from our current level at 1,500. And so that introduces a lot of issues. Um, the, currently, the, the, as I said, the FCC um, in the U.S. is um, the regulatory agency that approves um, these satellite projects. And there is no uh, environmental review of these satellites. So um, they already started launching, and astronomers started to complain because they, these satellites were reflecting the sun um, at dusk and dawn and interfering with these um, these projects, um, these you know visual astronomy projects that astronomers ha- were operating. Um, more concerning is that there was a company that was looking to, so, so satellites are usually fueled by something called xenon. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's n- there's not a lot of it. And so with this huge increase in satellites, um, satellite operators are looking at other ways to fuel satellites. One really inexpensive way to do it um, is by using mercury. Now, NASA tested using mercury. As is this a, inexpensive? It's inexpensive, okay. yeah. And it's easy to find. Uh, and so NASA started testing it in the 70s. But because it's, it's, you know, it's a neurotoxin, 
um, and it's a heavy element, if you use that to propel a satellite, um, it would eventually sink back into the um, atmosphere and down to the earth and get Ooh, into okay. water supplies and soil and things like that. So NASA was like, this is a no-go. We're not going to use mercury. Well, now that the search is on for you know cheap alternatives, private companies have said, oh, maybe we could use mercury. It is very effective as a propellant. So they're not worried about environmental. Right. They're just thinking okay. like, we can make a quick buck off of this. And currently the FCC has no review over what you're using as a propellant for your satellite. Is this difficult? So, so already uh, I'm seeing, is this difficult to get past with certain members of Congress? Like to even discuss these things, is it just outside of? Yeah, it is difficult because um, I think you have, you know, I think one of the roles of administrative agencies like the FCC um, is their expertise in matters. And so you have Congress delegating to these agencies when they create them um, this, you know, approval authority because they're supposedly the experts. They have the expertise that members of Congress don't have on, on issues like satellite propellants. Hmm. The issue is that there is a lack of expertise at the agency as well. The FCC, when it was created, never envisioned regulating um, satellites. And so uh, there's a, a, a lack of awareness there as well. So they don't even know that this is an issue that they should be looking at. Um, and oftentimes, you know, these agencies are understaffed. Um, they don't have scientists um, who are looking at these specific issues. And so it kind of and makes space the Wild West where, you know, if you can get away oh, with it, no. <laughs> um, no one's really checking. And so it's just going to be left to... Because they don't know to check. They don't know to check. So then it's left to corporations um, to kind of self-regulate. And um, I think we know that they are not the best at doing that. So, so ultimately we need members of Congress who are somewhat up to speed on these topics. Definitely, definitely to be, to instruct agencies, hey, this is part of your mandate to look at these things. And so, and so what my argument is, um, because this is not being discussed at either um, the congressional level or at the FCC, um, my argument is that a, someone could sue the FCC and basically say, look, the, the National Environmental Policy Act requires that all federal agencies take a hard look at their actions um, to see what the environmental consequence of them is. And that extends um, beyond their actions to any actions of third parties that they have like approval authority over. Mm. So, uh, so even though the FCC is not like launching satellites, um, because they're granting this approval, they have the responsibility to make sure that that they're determining what the environmental impact is what as far as environmental impacts what do I don't, i've heard about space junk isn't that also a factor in yeah and so <clears throat> interestingly enough uh the uh and again this that's another issue space junk that didn't get attention until it was jeopardizing commercial space interests so people were launching satellites and realizing my my brand new satellite is getting smashed by this like mm. other satellite that's not even working anymore. So you have satellite crashes and who who's liable? Right, exactly. And currently, um, whose satellite rear end re 
rear-ended the other satellite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and so, and so, that was an area where Congress uh, had hearings about it. I believe it was in the early two thousands. Uh, and so the FCC took note of that and decided to. Um, so now, when you launch a satellite, as part of the application process, they look at um, orbital debris mitigation. Um, so basically these new SpaceX satellites, if one fails and SpaceX can no longer control it, uh, its orbit will degrade and it will uh, burn up in the atmosphere. So, so that doesn't reach back up to Earth. Correct. Okay. So that doesn't... So it's just space junk. It orbits and... So that's kind of where things are... So, so there's movement in the industry to create satellites that will burn up um, in the atmosphere in the case that the operator can no longer contact the satellite. Mm -hmm. uh, so th that's something that's being addressed. But again, that took, you know, th that was only one one area that was being looked at and they are addressing it, but there's all of these other areas that still aren't being talked about. This may be way off topic. I have no precedent for this question at all, mm -hmm. just before I ask it. Okay. But is there any jeopardy as far as putting more people in space, the space junk create like collision or do they know mostly where it is is it avoidable like does that have any so they are track they do um governments and um private um private companies do track uh space junk okay. and um there is a company in japan that is working on uh developing a system of collecting space junk um one of the issues that you run into though is that the outer space treaty says that any assets that a country launches into space belong to that country and that covers space junk. So technically if Russia has satellites that um, are no longer operating, an operator that was trying to clean up space junk would have to seek approval from Russia to remove that. They, do, they couldn't just go up and clear, clear out everything because it's still technically the property of whatever country launched it. Even um, though it's technically international. Even though it's operating in, 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 in an international area, the asset was originally belonged to a country, and so that country has the final say as to whether you could touch it or not. And so, a and this is a UN resolution. Or? This is a this is a treaty that is monitored by the UN. Okay. Yeah, it's an international treaty. Um, so, so that's kind of an area that kind of stymies the cleanup efforts because a country could just choose not to cooperate, and legally you could not touch their space junk but as far as the danger to humans um i think you you can track what is in space and so is there big money in space junk what wh why would you want to damage satellite for proprietary information yeah i think secrets maybe yeah i think a country could just um they may not have if they're looking for leverage or more time to get into the space race, okay. they may choose to not comply um, with like trying to get rid of space junk to kind of stymie the efforts of other countries. It's, it seems almost comical. Like, I mean, it's... Yeah. I think that that's, that's just one of the many reasons why the Outer Space Treaty needs to be uh, renegotiated um, and just kind of and revamped. As I said before, it was created in 1967. Uh, and so... Do you, uh, do you think aliens are watching us and they, they're just kind of poking fun at where we're at? <laughs> they're still arguing I, over space junk. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, that probably every s 
alien civilization has gone through this period. I don't know if it's... Oh, wait, 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 wait. You're, so you're saying aliens exist? <laughs> That's my personal belief. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, um, you don't have a line in on some secret? <laughs> no, no, no secrets okay. that, I, that I have. Um, but I... Yeah, I think it's an interesting time period to be a sentient species and to see how fast or slow we move through these There's a these lot issues. going on, for sure. Yeah. So, mining asteroids. Mm-hmm. Or, wait, wait, wait. What's the difference between a meteor and an asteroid? Are you familiar? Uh, we can look it up if we need to. Yeah, I think you might have to look that up. Okay. Well, that would make sense why you would then probably mine asteroids versus meteors. Oh, okay. So they're talking about mine. That's what I wanted to get at. Yeah. Yeah, there's astro- uh, yeah, uh, asteroids are small rocky orbits, uh, objects that orbit the sun. Okay. Uh, and an asteroid is a uh, rocky system. A meteor is what happens when a small piece of an asteroid or comet called a meteoroid burns up. Uh, okay. So, so that we can't use. We're looking for asteroids. So we're looking. Yeah. Okay. That What's makes on sense. an asteroid that we can use? So there's, you know, a variety of um, components, metals that make up asteroids. And it's, you know, a potential to find these precious metals um, that, you know, are difficult or hard to find on Earth. Um, so it, it's potentially very lucrative. Uh, and then the question becomes, can you actually mine or is that your property so the outer space treaty says that there is no basically there is no private property in space right now everyone every country can you can can go to space and and utilize it so it's the it is really the last frontier i think it's actually the pre to the last frontier right yeah so i think colonizing a planet would be yeah, and so there's, and so it, it kind of ble- uh, that kind of bleeds into this too because you have you have what the outer space treaty says, but then you have I, I believe it was in 2015 um, the U.S. created a law to they they want to encourage um, commercial space activity, um, and so they created a law that said if you mine an asteroid, you can that's your property, and so now there's a question of is that law legal? Per the Outer Space Treaty, and several other countries, I know Luxembourg have also created that that law um, to encourage um, commercial space activity. So there, there's you, you have that issue as to like, can once a private company lands on a satellite or lands on an asteroid, are they the the you know sole company that can use that entire asteroid? Can others land on it? And then there's an issue with. Um, the, the Outer Space Treaty has a provision that states that if you have, if without landing on, say, a planet, say Mars, you if you have made improvements to that land um, because it's diff- there's it's difficult to live on at at present, that is your property. And so there is um, a gentleman I don't know his name, but we he look it up. Yeah, so. I'll give you some context for this to help you look it up. But what he's what he's been doing is shooting um, laser beams at Mars, and the argument is that ever so slightly he's increasing the temperature, which would release CO two, frozen CO two, 
which would help Mars develop an atmosphere. So improving the planet. Or we could be like Elon Musk could just nuke their... Right. That's yeah. another... <laughs> that might be a Jurassic. <laughs> uh, Did you see that? When yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I mean, I understand like the the idea behind it. I think there's pushback over whether there's enough CO2 to form an atmosphere, but that's another, that's a more science-y question. I don't know if you saw the, the interview with Colbert and him, but he, he said, are you a superhero or a supervillain? And, <laughs> and, and then he said that, and he's like, see, that's something a supervillain would say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nuking Mars, yeah. But, um, yeah, and so there's this question. So, like, that would also be, like, you could argue that that's making an improvement to the planet, and then do you now own Mars? And so the reason why this, this, um, this, this gentleman is doing that is not because he's trying to own Mars, but because he's trying to force uh, international courts to look, take a look at this and to force countries to, to oh, okay. kind of flesh this out. He, he recognizes that it's a preposterous idea, okay, it's but a, it's a way it's to a gambit. Yeah. To force countries to look at this and to, to make them see that, Hey, do we still agree with what's in the Outer Space Treaty, or should we re take what another was his look name? at this? Did you find him? Might be difficult to find. I tried, I tried looking it up. The only thing I see is a Curiosity rover uh, shooting uh, lasers at rocks on Mars, like off the local. I think uh, I'm... Is this guy, is this guy uh, shooting laser beams from Earth to Mars? He is, and I think he's but in... in a, I want to say he's in New Hampshire or Vermont. Okay. Um, he would be in... I'm sure I don't have much to do out there. I'm just kidding. If you if you Google, I think I did. I searched radio beams um, to Mars, and then ownership, and I think it so, comes up. So let's take just a quick step back because something that kind of created pause with me. Okay, we're talking about mining asteroids. Don't you kind of catch a mass asteroid? Have we, have we done that? Have we caught an asteroid? How do you catch an asteroid? Yeah, I don't think... I think that there's technology being developed right now okay. to basically stabilize the orbit of an asteroid um, and and then be able to, to safely mine it. To tractor beam it like Star Wars? Yeah, basically. Okay. And so, like I was saying, I don't think it's going to be long before that technology happens. And so then we're going to be left with like, Oh, now what happens? We can do it. And so how do we do it? Like, how do we do it administratively? What are the legal implications of it? So everything has to have a legal implication. Yeah, unless I, unless it operates like kind of like the Wild West, which I think it's shaping up to Ooh. be uh, unless we decide like we want to treat it like Antarctica and start having an international body license the activity that goes on. Okay. What's the benefit for people to, to have it more regulated versus wild, wild west scenario? Those well, seem like two polar, you know, two extremes. What's, yeah. Where's the balance? So I think the balance is wanting to create, um, as it stands right now, um, I think we do need the private sector to be engaged in commercial space activity. Um, you look at SpaceX, uh, they, ha they have rocket boosters that can now, you know, launch a spacecraft and then land again back on Earth to be used again. They, SpaceX did that first, n not NASA. And so I think we do want to encourage that activity. But at the same time, 
we want to protect the interests of um, life on Earth. And so if we have, you know, space uh, satellite operators using mercury as a fuel propellant, um, that's that's unacceptable. Um, if if profit becomes the bottom line, you mentioned the alternative xenon. So xenon is uh, xenon is is what we currently xenon. use, and that's a that's a safe um, that's a safe propellant. Um, it's just expensive to manufacture. Yeah, and it's just not as readily available as um, other propellants. Such what as is xenon? Uh, Sounds like an alien. <laughs> Sounds like a so beyond character. beyond that it, it is the current satellite propellant of choice i don't know much about xena oh, okay. yeah so you're not a physicist you're not, no you're not manufacturing yeah i'm in law school so <laughs> i don't know all of the so i think you know one question some people might have and I, i've heard neil degrasse tyson speak i want to get your take on this mm-hmm. um i know and i don't know exactly how it's phrased but i'll i'll put it in layman terms but some people are apprehensive about these things because they're like we have problems here on earth Mm-hmm. All right, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard that, right? <clears throat> However, like a, a little do people know that the space program going to the moon, you know, definitely you know, pushed technology for, forward or forward faster. You know yeah. what I'm trying to say? I'm just totally on my words, but you know where I send them I'm trying yeah, to get at. Yeah. Absolutely. Um so you know, is is it something we do? I, I know Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of explains it like being the caveman and everybody's like we got problems here in the cave and the, <laughs> the caveman right. wants to go out it, it does help what's going on in the cave right the you know absolutely and i feel like we have the capacity to address our problems at home and reach for the stars at the same time oh hey that was good that's <laughs> that's tweetable <laughs> um. thank you <laughs> uh, and i and um as you were saying I, I think you know trying to figure out how we can um become an interplanetary species does propel you know things that help us on earth and i think it's something that we need to consider because as you were saying there are problems here on earth and you have climate change for instance and we don't you know it's not looking great and so i think we do need to consider <laughs> so we got to start thinking we got this is a, is this a hell mary like is that what we're going i mean i think that i don't think that that should be off the table i think that we should okay. keep that in mind and um and at the same time, as we're looking at things like terraforming of Mars, we'll undoubtedly learn about things that could probably help with climate change here on our planet. So, as so I we think learn it's, yeah, more about other atmospheres. Exactly. So I think I think it's to our detriment to to not look to the stars. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think most scientists and engineers and stuff are on that same line of thinking. So yeah, and so it's I think just, that's why it's critical though that we think about how we actually, we, how we do that, the framework of that. You know, scientists, and, you know, scientists is a broad term. So some people, all scientists are the same. But, you know, physicists, uh, engineers, they say that we need people to be more scientific literate. You don't necessarily have to be a scientist. You don't have to be, you know, running your own experiments and, and that thing. But what, what, did, what does that mean to you to be scientific literate? You know, so I think that that 
that means understanding the the physical and natural world around you um, here on Earth. Mm-hmm. Also, what's happening in space. And so not that like when mills cause cancer. Or, <laughs> uh, yeah, not, something <laughs> based in the scientific method. Oh, okay. That's not scientific. <laughs> How do you know? Have you tested it? I haven't tested okay, it. Okay, well, then, then but I think, not doing I science. think that the I think that the um, I think that the peer review process um, for academic literature uh, it works, uh, and it, it's it's something that we do um, with legal academia as well. My article that's getting published uh, goes through every source that I cite is checked to confirm that it is supporting my proposition. Um, there's multiple reviews, sub- substantive reviews where I get pushback on my ideas, where I'm able to refine them. And then once it's published... And that's from actual scientists? Uh, th- so so my article is more on uh, on the legal implications. Okay. So, so it's going to be other... Um, legal scholars who are who are engaged in kind of a back and forth with me and then that's debatable but the same process happens for for science as well so you have research that you do um other scientists get to look at it they get to see if they can replicate your work uh and so i think through that that process um you get pretty sound results so this is all hands on deck you have to have lawyers scientists physicist i guess they're still yeah but as far as the general public goes like yeah. where, where do we get i mean so here's where i think that the general public fits in um and it's more on so as i was saying before you know science scientists are going to be looking at can we you know stabilize an asteroid's orbit so that we can mine and how do we mine on that asteroid they um they're looking at you know how would we terraform mars they're not looking at the legal implications of who gets to mine on an asteroid or how is government organized once we've terraformed Mars. And, and that's something that the legal field, um, I'm hoping, will take a greater interest in kind of starting to lead the discussion in those areas. But ultimately, that is a discussion for the general public as to you know, what are, what are the values that we are bringing to space? Do we want it to be for everyone? Do we want corporations to have free reign? You know, is it a fresh start for us on a new planet? Those are things that I think that the public um, can and should be engaged in um, because those are, those are ultimately up to us. So, so is Space Force uh, a preemptive strike to... <laughs> to install something else on Mars. Let's talk about going to Mars. Like, yeah. So I think this, this is a good question. Um, I think I, when I talk to undergraduate students about, um, about this, I asked them to think about, you know, kind of a thought experience experiment of say SpaceX is the first to get to Mars and, you know, they've, funded everything they've paid for the ships they've paid for um you know colonists to go um they have a community living there and but spacex is a company and so they need this venture to be profitable and so what happens if they say okay we need everyone for this to be profitable we need everyone to work seven days a week and that 
goes on for a time until people who are living there are like, actually, we want a weekend or we want days off. So now we have to redo everything. Again? So now does does SpaceX get to be the ultimate decider? Do we let a corporation decide how a colony operates? Or do we say, no, whoever starts the colony, there's these there are these basic guidelines that everyone has to follow. Do we import the laws from Earth? Do we create new ones? Do we let that colony create their own form of government? Those are all questions that... It, I mean, how much leverage do you think... so? Would SpaceX or any private company, how much leverage would they have just being there? Do you think they'd have much more leverage than? Yeah, I think they would because if they if they have funded everything, they have created the technology to get us to Mars. No government has done that. They're the first. Then I think they have a good argument to say, hey, we need, you know, we've put in all the legwork for this and now we need this to be profitable so we need to ask these things and and if you want to go to mars as a colonist you have to agree to these things so the united states of spacex exactly oh, potentially no. unless we have these conversations and say we don't want it to look like that so before anyone gets to mars here are some ground rules or, or it would be emperor musk yeah <laughs> I don't know. no i think musk is pretty cool i like musk what do you think about musk I like him too. I um I think he can sometimes get ahead of himself on things and um generally I'm very excited for for the the work he does. Um but again, I think he like scientists are focused on can we do it? And we uh, need that, okay. but we also need to think about just, how we do they're it. They're just trucking yeah. forward. Right. And we've got the technology, boom, let's do it. And are we being intentional about what we're doing? Hmm. So what do you think, um, you know, as far as we, we get to Mars, we colonize Mars. Um, what does that look like, first of all? Like, is everybody in a little dome for a yeah, while? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, how many people are we talking about? And that, again, is a more science-y question that oh, I okay. don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, because I know people have signed up. Supposedly, they're yeah, already... I think you definitely find people who would want to do it. Yeah. Um, no, I think they've already got them slated. Like they've, can you look that up real quick, Josh? Like, uh, yeah, I think people have already, like, I would say pre-ordered, but yeah. Yeah. I think they have a, what exactly should, uh, uh, look up space, uh, SpaceX, Mars. First to colonize Mars. I think they've already done the, or they're in the pre-screening phase. Yeah, and I'll just a, just a quick uh, interesting note is that SpaceX was a, initially founded to fund a city on Mars. That was why Elon Musk created SpaceX in the first place. Um, so that's always been his overarching goal. Okay, and this is 2025, not right? I think it's 2025. Yeah, I'm not sure. We're looking at. Uh, yeah, I'm looking mostly going about on about his uh, science aspects of it, but uh, I'm trying to see what the. I could have sworn uh, I've seen. Yeah, actually, they said about 2020, 2021, they're going to launch uh, into a spaceship. In the oh, 2021. Yeah, so yeah, they should. Uh, yeah. yeah. be orbitable. I don't know if they're actually going to 
smaller boat cargo and supplies, but no people. And then, then by 2022, December 2023, they're gonna uh, land the first big Falcon in spaceship. Um, and then by the 2023, they're uh, uh, gonna launch the first people with the BFR and turn around the moon. And then 2024, they're gonna uh, they're have the last people on the first uh, human voyage to Mars. Mm. Where do you sign up? Are you going, Josh? <laughs> I, I need you. I need you here. Unless those satellites get better. Yeah. <laughs> Would you go? Man, I don't. I don't know, dude. I, I, would, I would really want to be the guinea pig. Yeah, I think you I'd said you too. liked roller coasters. That's uh. I like roller coasters, but man, I don't know if I want to go into space. That'd be a hell of a way to go out, though. Even if it, <laughs> it even if it messes up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I kind of. I think I want to stay here for a bit okay. longer to just let the kinks get worked right, here's out. Here's what I'm going to need on Mars. Uh. By the 2030s, though, they're planning on the construction of the first city on Mars. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. As long as they got Wi-Fi, you know, all the, the creature comforts, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a man of simple tastes, so I think I, I, think <laughs> I could do it. But what's the work like on Mars? Like, what, what, what do we got to do? Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting, too. I'm sure it's and initially, like you were saying, that there's not going to be um, the first human settle- settlement on Mars will probably occur before Mars is terraformed. So it's going to be in some type of bubble. And uh, and I think probably people who can support that environment are going to be, you know, the priority so yeah because you're gonna have law and order too yeah and so then there's and then there's going to be some form of administration um that's that's where space force comes in so are you on board with space force you know is i i'm i feel (laughs) despite where it comes from despite where it comes from the idea premise you know i love i love star trek and i love starfleet okay so i like so if space force ended up looking like that i'm on board okay uh i I'm still kind of neutral about it as far as seeing where where it's taken. It depends on who's running. But I'm the not space against force. it. I'm not against it. Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, that's a lot to go on. Uh, there's a space is a an interesting place. What do you What do you think? Yeah, Josh. When you when you, when they say city, how many people are we talking about? Ten. Say how many people? But it says that basically, like Mars will need everything from iron foundries to pizza joints. He said, I think Mars should really have great bars. The Mars bar. <laughs> <laughs> Mars bar. Is so that Elon Musk saying that? Uh, yeah. yeah so that's what the, uh, Elon is this more of a village? Yeah, I guess I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. So, just briefly, let's go into conspiracy theory territory. Do do you think that you just said something? You said that Elon wants to basically have a backup drive for humanity. 
is there any has anybody ever put forth the idea that maybe we are the backup drive that there was a, once life on Mars and I've actually mm. I think it's really credible. I just came up with it. <laughs> it's pretty credible. No. Well, well, let's get it through the peer review process. <laughs> let's, and we'll let's capture an <laughs> asteroid first. And, uh, all right. So we've had Ramon Ryan, law student at Vanderbilt. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we look forward to having you back on. We're going to see where you're at in just a little bit. Yeah. All right.